Hey, what's up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. Quick heads up for those tuning in. Today's show is adult-themed, man. We've got addiction challenges. We've got childhood safety and relationships. And so make sure if young eyes or young ears are watching or listening that you preview the show first. And we're also going to be talking about parents and grandparents who won't stop sending end-of-times political crazy electronic communication to their kids and what the kids can do about it. Stay tuned. Folks, I'm John, and this is the Dr. John Deloney Show, where I'm taking your calls about your life as you work, live, love, and interact with people in your head, in your home, in your schools, in your neighborhood, everywhere, everyone. Live, love, that sounds like one of those Pinterest things that go up in your living room, right? But whatever, we're talking about about your relationships, your relational IQ, we're going to talk about parenting, we're going to talk about addiction, we might even talk about... That one dude you have in your life that's dubbed themselves the grammar police, right? When you're telling a story and you're all into it and they stop you and they're like, mm, it's not me and my friends, it's my friends and I. And you're just like, oh, shut up. We're talking about all of it today, right? So if you want someone to hear you, you want a second opinion worth about what you're going to pay for it or anything, I'm here to walk with you, right? So give me a call at one 693 3291. That's 1-844-693-3291. Leave a message. Leave a detailed message. Kelly will check out your message, leave a number. She'll call you back and see if we can get you scheduled for the show. If you're more comfortable emailing, email me at askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. Askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. Leave your name, your number, and a brief message, and we will get back in touch with you. So we're going to go right to the phones. Um, we're going to talk to John in Seattle. John, how are we doing? Honestly, I'm tired, man, but I'm good. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so grateful. So so listen, before we get going, I want to talk directly to the audience here and kind of let you know about my conversation coming up here with John. Um, the reality is John and I have already recorded a conversation together, and it went about 20 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer, and the short of it is I messed up the call. I didn't do a good job responding. I was wordy and verbose. And most importantly, I didn't pay attention to a couple of key things. And so I used wrong language. I used wrong terms. And I stumbled through just my response was just poor, right? And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to John again is what he has to, what is going on in his life is important. But two, I want to let everyone listening to this show know. Coaches aren't perfect. Mentors aren't perfect. Counselors aren't perfect. The people in your life that you entrust your heart with, your advice to, man, they stumble and they mess up. And so I wanted to go first in this exchange here and let everybody listen to the show. John, let you know, man, I'm sorry. I didn't do a good job the first time around. Still getting used to this show, how everything works. And your situation was unique for me, man. And I want to let everybody know that it's okay to Give somebody else another shot. So, John, I'm really grateful for you calling back and letting me have a mulligan on this one, brother. No, I appreciate it. And uh, listen, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. I respect what you do, um, and I value your opinion. And I and I realize myself that I, I do need a little bit of help. And uh, yeah, I, I I appreciate it, and I'm I'm thankful for getting another shot to talk to you. 
Well, thank you so much. So let's let's walk it back to the beginning. What's going on in your life, and how can I help? Yeah, so um, you know, I'm in my late forties. Uh, I like to consider myself a success. Um, I have a very well-paying job, thankfully, and I work a lot of hours, like I did yesterday, about sixteen. Whew, uh, man. Yeah, I know, and, and that's every other day or so. Um, and but I uh, I struggle. Uh, for a long time now uh, with an addiction to, you know, I guess what I like to call webcam models, uh, talking to a woman online, uh, you know, only online and just talking erotically to them. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's my addiction, and I spend a lot of money doing it. And tell, tell me about the money you've it, spent. Tell me how much time, tell me about the, the what this is costing you. Uh, well, I mean, financially, I mean, uh, tens of thousands of dollars, um, probably a year at least. Um, and that's probably being kind and, uh, time. I just find myself, you know, when, you know, instead of reading a book or working on a novel, I should be writing <laughs> or something, uh, you know, I'm on the internet, uh, just looking around on these websites for probably a connection and interaction, Mm. um, you know, that only lasts, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but you know, before you know it, three hours has gone by, you know, and it's, Mm. it's a, it's a, it's a time suck. Right. And so for those listening, um, webcam girls are really people on demand, right? So they'll, they'll come into your, internet in your house or if you put it on your big screen tv they'll come in and you can ex- talk with them you pay by the minute right what is it three to five three to six bucks a minute something like that and they'll basically yeah. do whatever you ask them to do over five minutes ten minutes two hours is that am i am i right there you're a hundred percent right okay. and the interesting thing it's like in today's world of the internet it's it's not just like, it's actually, you know, people would be surprised, I think, by who these webcam models are. Hmm. You know, these are normal women who have had regular jobs and now because of COVID or whatever, they needed to make an extra income hmm. from their home. You know, they're single mothers, they're real people, which I think is what also makes it so enticing, you know? Sure. Um, you know, so you do feel like you have some type of real connection to them, and uh, which I lack. You know, their yeah, job, I I lack. their job is to make you feel connected, right? Like they're actresses. Their job is to make you feel loved, appreciated, and more importantly, to keep you on the line as long as possible. Because every minute is a, is another cha-ching, cha-ching. Is, is that right? Uh, overall, yes. Okay. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't think they all, you know, are... You, you, you know, they're real. They realize you, you know, you got to go, you got to do things. But, okay. Um, but um, that's what I'm saying. They're just real people, mm. which I think is what also makes it so enticing. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily just a fantasy girl, mm. you know, that is completely unattainable, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So last time we talked, we dug in a little bit to your past and just to, for the sake of the, the time, you don't come from a home of abuse. You've got good parents. You've got a great job. You are somebody that your community counts on and is always with you. When you step back 
30,000 feet and you say, I've got this behavior that is costing me money, it's costing me time. Where do you think this comes from? What are you hiding from? What vulnerability are you protecting yourself from getting hurt? Yeah, um, you know, that's a good question. You know, it's, um, I don't know, you know, it definitely comes from, you know, a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I used to read erotica, Mm -hmm. um, and like that's when I was like in college, somehow I started reading erotica. And as with a lot of addictions, you know, the erotica, you know, becomes a more heightened sense of erotica. And that, you know, when things progressed, you know, it became just calling, you know, somebody on the phone, mm. you know, before the whole, you know, webcamming. The old, know, really the old 1-900 started. numbers back in the day, right? Yeah. Mm. And then that turned into, oh, you could actually see somebody's face. Mm. Um. So it goes back quite a long time, you know, well over 20 years. Um, so what happened now that makes you want to stop doing this behavior? Well, a lot of it, you know, is financial, you know, and yes, I, I do make a good living, but I recognize how much money I'm spending and I have for a while. And I don't know, it, it, like maybe because I'm so close to being debt free, you know, following, you know, your boss, Dave Ramsey, as you alluded to last week, mm-hmm. um, it really bothers me how much money I am, you know, I say wasting, but wasting, you know, and I have been in relationships where I don't do it. You know, I don't have the compulsion to call mm. if I am in a relationship, but I am not often in a relationship, gotcha. you know, and that's probably a whole other issue. Like, <laughs> why can't I fall in love and meet that right person? Right. Um, but what I do look for somebody you know, and this is the other reason I think it inhibits how I think of that person. Like initially, like I want to know, oh, are they open-minded? Are they, you know, for lack of a better word, kinky? Okay. You know, and and I think that's not healthy. Hmm. So one of the things that stuck in my head the last time we talked, and have just kind of bounced around like a bouncy ball in there for the last couple of days, has been this idea that I don't know. Or I haven't been convinced by you, John, that you want to stop this behavior or this interaction. I understand that you don't like the derivative effects. You don't like a smaller bank account. You don't like that it. when you meet somebody new, your head immediately goes to, I wonder how bizarre this person would be or how different this person would be. Or to not use normed words, right? I wonder if this person shares my same uh, sexual identity. I wonder if this person's into the same things I'm into. And you miss the the human exchange, right? Just the hi, how are yous? And just the joys and ups and downs and sadnesses of just getting to know somebody. I didn't get a sense that that's something you want to stop, webcam girls. You just want these other things. Do you really want to quit this behavior or do you just want to be debt-free and have a good relationship? And I hope you can see the difference of, of my question there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a happy, and I, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a happy medium in a way. You know, I mean, listen, if I'm in a relationship, I do not feel that I need, you know, these women, you know, on the internet. Um, but 
you know, I do feel or I've convinced myself that they are giving me something, you know, with, you know, decreasing my anxiety before work. Mm -hmm. Or um, I do feel sometimes it's, you know, necessary. Um, you know, or I justify it. Well, I'm single, so it's okay. Um, so make mo- and, make no mistake, man. They are giving you something. They are giving you release. They are giving you connection. However broken and crooked it is, it's still connection, right? It's still intimacy, and not true vulnerable human to human intimacy. But it is an intimate exchange, especially as you mentioned. These aren't models. These aren't professionals. These are run-of-the-mill folks, normal folks from our neighborhoods, right, trying to make some extra money, um, they are giving you an opportunity to escape. They are giving you an opportunity to not live in the reality that you're lonely, not live in the reality that for 20 years you've wanted this thing, and not living in the reality that life is filled with complexion and frustration and real relationships take a lot of work and they are hard and they're uncomfortable. They do give you all of those things, right? And so what when you're coming up against an addiction, there's got to be a moment when you say the pain of continuing this addiction is I want that gone more than the benefit I'm getting from it. And And to be honest with you, man, I don't hear that from you yet. I hear an annoyance and a frustration, not a face in the dirt. I have to be done with this. And for a 20-year addiction, I think that's where you've got to be. I think you can't casually or um, sort of or happy medium your way out of this situation. Or you got to find somebody who's going to be a partner with you that's going to be into it too. And that's, it's, that's a whole other phone call, right? But it doesn't sound like you're at a place where I just, I'm, I've got to be finished with this. Am I wrong there? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that's a good question. I know I keep saying that, but it's, um, I think by reaching out to you and putting, you know, uh, this to air to whoever hears it, I'm pretty close to that. Okay. Um, you know, I feel very vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, part of me, th- part of me wanted to call also because I appreciate other people who call about other things sure. that, a lot of people don't talk about. And, uh, I know, I know a lot of people have this type of thing and, and I thought it was important also for them to hear who hears this, you know, about, you know, this type of addiction. But, um, I do feel you're, you're right. I mean, cause I deal with alcoholics and I, I haven't hit rock bottom, you know, in that way. And, uh, you know, I think because I do make a good living, it's, almost in a way preventing me from hitting rock bottom because I haven't lost, you know, my family, my home, alienated, you know, personal relationships in my life. And that's, you know, a, like that's a common challenge with functional recreational drug users, right? As it begins to slowly take over everything. If you are excellent at your job, you do make a good living, you can buy yourself years of punting that challenge down the road before it comes and gets you, Right. Um, so here's the thing. I want to address a couple of things, and I even brought some notes this time. Um, I think it's important for everyone listening to this, an addiction to webcam girls, an addiction to what I would call a sexualized addiction where you are numbing the challenges and the frustrations and the fears of real relationships, and you're trading that for um, – 
really, I guess the old joke is the oldest job on planet Earth, right? Which is sex in exchange for money. Um, I want everyone to hear that that's sensationalized, right? This is a real challenge in a real person's life, but most of us don't walk through our lives struggling with an addiction to webcam girls. But I don't want a listener to this podcast to give themselves a pass on the idea that addiction is addiction is addiction. As a culture, if you look at what's happening in COVID, we are drinking too much. We are drink- I heard 300 times alcohol sales are up. Working too much is, is an addiction, sexual infidelity, purchasing things, buying things, just getting that quick dopamine hit when you click through Amazon, working out too much, being addicted to measuring your macros and micros on your day. This, as a culture, we will do anything to not feel the pain and frustration and exhaustion of just everyday living. And so while, John, while your thing is out there, right, it's sensationalized and it's webcam girls and millions of people listening to this are going to go, whoa, I don't even know that exists or I've never even heard of that or I just read about that once. I I don't want people to give themselves a pass, right? So addiction is addiction is addiction. The second thing is I – if you actually want to want to solve this problem, right? And again, I'm not super convinced that you're fully in there, John. But if you do, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to pick up a book by Gabor Mate called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. It's the single greatest book on addiction I've ever read. I know there's probably a million other ones, but it's a book that really spoke to me. As an author, Gabor, Dr. Mate speaks to my heart in several ways, but it's a book on addiction and it walks through the, the, the path that people take to get where they are. I also want you to pick up a book by Terrence Real called I Don't Want to Talk About It. It's The Secret Legacy of Male Depression. And folks, men especially, who get wrapped up in sexualized addictions or addictions of power or addictions of disconnection, they just go off into another place. And then you find yourself out in the woods somewhere and you don't know the path to get back. So those are two important books. I also want to... Just, I can't say this strongly enough. You cannot get through addiction. You cannot change your life behavior, particularly one of 20 years, by yourself. You're going to have to get into a Sexaholics Anonymous group. You're going to have to get into a 12-step group of some sort. You're going to have to get with a local church or um, a local community group. You're going to have to get to some group. And I'm going to recommend if your addiction is on the internet, if your addiction is online, that that's not a good place to find community. And I know that stinks, especially now in COVID, man. That just sucks. But going online, logging in, that whole thing is going to kick in a trigger, and that's going to start the compulsion process. Um, Dr. Mate, in his book, he talks about five quick things, and I'll run through them real quick. He talks about when you have these urges, remember that this is not a broken brain. You don't have a disease. You've got a disordered brain, a malfunctioning brain that is trying to compensate for a lack of stability, a lack of vulnerable relationships, a lack of identity, right? And so what you're trying to do when you when you change your thoughts and your actions out of an addictive behavior, you're really trying to heal and transform a malfunctioning brain, he says. So here's the five steps he gives you. Number one, you have to relabel thoughts and urges, right? You don't need to eat that junk or withdraw, but you've got to stop yourself as these urges come, right? Um, 
you may have a feeling, this urgency, you know, John talks about this, this feeling of urgency, this compulsion, but there's actually nothing urgent going on. And so you have to relabel those, those feelings as things I have to do to, okay, now I've got to ask myself a hard question. What's my brain trying to protect me from? Is it the stress of going to this busy job that John has? Is it this, this frustration that's, ah, I need to get this release before I go to work so I can be calm? It's this impending anxiety. Whatever this, this feeling, this compulsion is, number two, you have to reattribute it to something else, right? You've got to reattribute it towards from these things that happen to you or this bad behavior or here comes my compulsion. Again, I'm feeling myself want to log in. Stop, stop dumping a bunch of garbage onto those thoughts and just reattribute them to, man, what's my brain trying to protect me from? Anytime you're about to buy something, smoke something, drink something, text that old girlfriend, anytime you are about to go back to the gym for a second time, ask yourself, what is my brain trying to protect me from? And then you can even get to a place through mindfulness where you think your brain. You say, thanks, brain. I appreciate you taking care of me. The third thing is you got to refocus. And I know this sounds cheesy or lame, but you have to decide in that moment when you feel that compulsion and you relabel it to thanks, brain, for taking care of me, you have to then choose to go do something else. That's In 12-step programs, you call your sponsor. In weight loss programs, you go outside of your home and you go for a walk, right? Um, Whatever it may be is you are starting to refocus and teach your brain that it doesn't have to obey, as Dr. Mate says, it doesn't have to obey the urgency call. The fourth thing is, is you have to revalue. And he suggests it's called devalue, right? But this is just to really drive into your head that the real impact of this urge is disaster. It is tens of thousands. The last time John and I talked, about $100,000 he spent on webcam girls. At some point, somebody at work is going to find out. Somebody's going to release the footage of the webcams. Somebody's going to put something out there. Somebody's going to look at your receipts and see just how much you've been drinking. Or you're going to miss a ball game or you're going to drive drunk or, or any number of things that are on the back of addictive behaviors. You've got to revalue it and understand that this only leads to disaster. It's going to feel good right now. It's going to give me release. This ends in a train wreck. And then you've got to recreate. This is the final one. You've got values, you've got passions, you've got talents, capabilities, he says, but you have to recreate. You've got to recreate new relationships, new default settings, new behaviors, and that ultimately your brain will begin to, when it, instead of feeling that compulsion to log into Webcam Girl, to go have something to drink, to get on Amazon and buy something, to just sit in front of Netflix and mindlessly scroll, it will say, we need to go for a walk. We need to go hug my wife. I've got to take my kids and go hold both of their hands and we're going to go out into the woods in the rain, whatever it is, but your brain will recreate new paths that you can follow. So again, I want to, I want to thank John for number one, for giving me a mulligan on this one. I want to thank him for being vulnerable and take, t- taking something out of the darkness that people struggle with, whether it's pornography, whether it's sexual addiction, infidelity, whatever it is, webcam girls, and broadly announcing to the world, hey, I struggle with this, and I've been struggling for a couple of decades. 
I also want to encourage John and everybody listening, find people in your life that you can be vulnerable and open with. That's the only path to true recovery from addiction. And then check out Dr. Mate's book. These five values are in that book. And it was a transformative experience for me reading that book. It looks at how we treat addicts in this culture, how criminalization – it talks about all of it, right? So it's a good place for you to start. So um, we took a little bit longer with that call and with this idea of addiction. So, again, I want to thank John and thank you all for listening. Let's go back to the phones. Let's talk to Marcus in Seattle. Marcus, how are we doing? Good man. Doing great. How about yourself? Good. Hey, first and foremost, um, how's how's the fires going? Are you and your family safe? Y'all doing Okay. Uh, yeah, we're doing fine. Uh, we got some rain last night. And oh, it looks good. like it cleared up the smoke a little bit. Oh, that's fantastic. What a blessing. Well, Marcus, how can I help? Good man. So um, I have a question. How do I break the family cycle of behavior? How do I convince my daughters to get counseling when they do not want to talk to a counselor? My daughters are 10 and 12. Uh, a little backstory. I'm active, active duty of 14 years. I've been going through a divorce process for almost a year and a half, mm. and I was awarded full custody of my girls in March. Okay. During the divorce process, my ex was ordered to get a psyche valve. It came back with an intermittent explosive disorder and paranoid personality. Mm. There are other behavior issues on my ex's side of the family that I'm concerned with. My ex has a set of twins with someone else, and she has called my youngest my youngest daughter a traitor, screamed at my oldest daughter because she didn't get the response she was expecting. Uh, and she claimed that my daughters are not mine, and I believe that they are my girls. She's thrown uh, baby bottles at me full of, full of uh, water, spit in my face, assaulted me. I caught her on video and turned it into the police, and she's facing domestic violence charges. She has claimed mental disorder in her defense. And now we're waiting on her to get evaluated for the trial. Uh, she went to NCIS and claimed that I sexually assaulted her nine months after our last in- sexual encounter. Uh, also, she went to a Navy organization and claimed that the girls were harming themselves, but has no evidence to support the claim. Uh, she has a history of control issues where if she's not in control of the situation. She becomes out of control. All right. Hey, Marcus, uh, gained, Mark, Marcus, yes. you've told me a lot about her. Tell me a lot about you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As you've been talking, it sounds like you're a broken, exhausted ex-husband and you're a broken, exhausted dad. Am I right? Yeah. Do you love those two girls? Nearly. And then, <clears throat> and then with uh, COVID and... Having to deal with homeschool all the time. Yeah. Thankfully, my uh, my command has worked with me, so I can be here during the day when when they need me most. But awesome. no, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. Yeah. So, Marcus, I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, just dad to dad, I love you, and I am grateful for you, and I'm proud of you. Okay, because what you're going through is a nightmare. Nothing gets in a dad's soul like somebody messing with his girls. And I know that that's their mom. I know that that's your wife. Um, And normally I'm pretty protective of ex-parents, but this sounds like a situation that is about their safety, their physical safety, their psychological safety, their spiritual safety. And so I want to reiterate, you're doing the right things. I know that it's a DEFCON 
two pain when somebody reports something to your administrative structures in NCIS and those crews have to go through the rigmarole. That's such a beating and they want all your texts and emails. I know that just sucks, man. And yeah. so just the exhaustion of it, I want to hear you and say this sucks, this sucks, and I'm sorry. Um, a couple of things that I want to put out there for you and then direct you to a few places. Number one, your daughters are 12 and 10. They don't get a choice. Yeah. They have to um, – everything that they know to about relationships, they learn from their mother and from their dad. And mm-hmm. you know this with just for, forgetting the diagnostics here. They did not pick that up from mom, and they are going to have to ha- – they're going to have a, a significant learning curve and a relearning curve. This counseling, yeah. I'm going to recommend you all do it together for the foreseeable future because they're going to have to learn – with the help of a neutral third party and with you involved, how to have a real relationship. And my guess is right now, broadly, they don't know how to do that. They've got a a dad who is going to war for them literally and figuratively. As a 10 Mm -hmm. and 12-year-old, they don't understand that yet, right? They don't get – they will circle back and realize, oh, my gosh, my dad, what an incredible man. They're just 12 and 10. They don't get that, right? And so – what you want to do with family counseling right now is to help them turn those alarms down, to turn those off, and or at least quiet them. It's going to be hard as long as mom is, is continuing to be a part of their, their lives. And I'm going to tell you something, Marcus, I don't normally tell folks. You told me you got full custody. Is that right? Yes. So you're going to have to be pretty protective of them and their interactions with their mom because mom's not safe. Mom's yeah, not right safe. now. She's limited down to text messaging because of her conduct. And I would, I would be relentless. I wouldn't give my ten and twelve year old a phone. I've got a ten year old, and he doesn't know how to turn on a phone to save his life. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a lunatic about that kind of stuff. But I would be relentless about checking their phones, checking their communication, right. because as she, as your daughters get to be fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and they're going to be desperate for a. a womanly presence in their life mom's going to transform to this cool hip friend right is going to turn yeah. into this person that dad's not right and so i would be just relentless just relentless and um be over attuned to things like physical touch make sure you're hugging your daughters you're holding their hands you're looking them in the eye that you come home turn all your electronics off and make them the center of the universe for a while and i know that's hard it's not convenient that's mind-numbing and frustrating but man you're in it and i wish i could tell you otherwise more than anybody in the world as a as a soldier you know there's just moments when man we're just getting shelled and this is just this is it and you're in that season with these girls um and i can hear in your heart that you love them and i can also hear that you're exhausted so here's my question for you do you have a place where you can go be well where you can get a break where you can put your oxygen mask on um, not really, because, uh, in the mornings I'm here with the girls and then, and the, uh, you know, I go to work in the afternoons. So, <laughs> all right. So Marcus, much, uh, Marcus, yep. you are worth being well, brother. Yeah. And you are worth getting a good night's sleep. You're worth eating. Okay. You're worth working out a few times a week. You're worth falling in love with again. And if you don't take care of yourself, you know this, it's, you're going to end up face down in the mud. Yep. Okay? Yep. 
And I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm, I'm talking from a, a – I'm with you is what I'm saying. When people in my life are hurting, my self-care goes out the window, and we just have to remember that old thing from the airplane pilots that if we lose cabin pressure, we got to put our mask on first or everyone in, the, in, in our row dies. All right? Well, I am lucky I do have someone in my life. Okay. So that uh, that I have found so good, good. She I, has been a lifeline. Good. Um, so when it when it comes to talking um, to your daughters, you're gonna have to walk a, a balance. And I'm gonna recommend you don't badmouth mom. You don't talk bad about her being crazy or she's this that. I would let your daughters know that mommy's sick. Mommy's sick and she's not doing well. And daddy loves them more than life itself. Daddy loves them more than they will ever understand. And the older they get, the more fun stuff y'all do, the more connected y'all do. Maybe y'all keep a letter writing journal where it's a spiral notebook you have with each each daughter. And her job is to write you a note every day. And when they go to bed, you'll read it and respond to it. Um, or you'll wake up early in the morning. Don't read those at nighttime because sometimes it'll be pretty dark. Um, but Wake up in the morning and respond to them and let them know that you love them, but it's going to give them something tangible they can hold on to and make sure you are taking care of yourself. But going back to your original question, 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds, they don't get a vote on whether they want to go to counseling or not. Especially in this situation, they will go. You will all go. This is something that you all are going to be in for the long haul, and I'm not a fan of going to counseling forever. This is something you're going to have to invest in because your daughters are going to have to relearn. And I say relearn when we think about knowledge, right? We think about our frontal lobes. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about our amygdalas. They're going to have to learn. Their bodies are going to have to learn how to whew, how to relax, how to breathe, and how to be in relationship with other people. And they're probably going to struggle with this for a while. Thank God they've got a dad who loves them more than life itself. Thank you for your service to our country. Equally as important, if not more, thank you for being a dad who gives a crap, Marcus. There's too many parents who don't care, who write their kids off. God bless you, man, for being in the fight with for your daughters. Um, ah, what a gift. What a saint, brother. Thank you so much for your call, and we'll be thinking and praying of you. I want you to give me a call back, Marcus. I want you to give this four or five months. I want you to give me a call back. Let me know how things are going. Let me know how counseling's going. Let me know how your intentional connection with your daughters, eye contact, daily journals together, prayer time together, working out together, whatever that looks like. I want you to know. I want you to come out, call me back and let me know how things are going. Um, I'll be thinking about you. All right, let's go to one more call. Let's go to Kevin in Los Angeles. Kevin, what is up? Oh, you know, uh, trapped inside due to quarantine, and now there's smoke everywhere. So. Man, yeah, you folks there, in man. California uh, are you know, compared to the last compared to the last phone call. I am doing fantastic. That definitely put things in perspective. Well, hey, listen, we don't do a grief comparing here, so you're allowed to <laughs> have a sucky, sucky week too, man. Um, we are just praying and thinking for you folks in California. That's just a a nightmare on top of a nightmare on top of a nightmare on top of. Man, your housing's expensive. It all kind of sucks right now, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Somewhat. I mean, honestly, life is pretty good compared to uh, you said not to compare. Hey, there we go. All life right. Is, life is good. Good. 2019 so, life was better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. So how can I help you, man? Um. So one of the things I wanted to ask about was um, my mom and my grandma keep sharing political videos and articles often dozens of times a day. Um, oh, most of man. it looks like propaganda to me. 
Um, without telling them, I actually unfollowed both of them on social media just because they were stressing me out with all of the stuff they were putting forward. Mm-hmm. And then they started just directly messaging me like all these things, all these videos about like, it's going to be the end of America if X gets elected or Y is trying to rig the election, this, that, or the other. And I talked to my mom and said, Hey, um, this stuff stresses me out. Could you please stop sending it to me? And she responded, well, I just want you to know what to pray for. And I feel like both she and my grandma are using the excuse of prayer to kind of fall down a political rabbit hole. Mm. So would you say it's disrespectful for me to just ignore the messages, which is kind of what I'm doing right now? Or should I try to convince them that what they're doing is unhealthy? Whew, man, that's a lot there. So I'm going to run through this relatively quick. Are you ready, Kevin? Yes. Number one, you named one of my pet peeves, brother, which is people who use prayer, who use mindfulness, who use this this shroud of love and care to spread gossip about people, right? We, we've seen these people at church are like, I don't want to gossip, but you know what Susie's been up to, right? Um, we need to pray for mm-hmm. Billy because he's about to go to jail, right? It's just a way to to snake your way into a conversation to, that really the, at the root of it is about disparaging people. I can't stand that, right? Um, so number two, Dude, um, you've done the noble thing, which is to have the conversation. My recommendation is to have it one more time and maybe even via email so they can have it in writing and they can go back to it. And here's why. When somebody's amygdala is engaged, when the stress center or fear center of their brain is on fire, they cannot be reasoned with. Right, And our brains work that way on purpose. They don't want us looking at the entrance of a cave and being like, hmm, is that a nice bear or a gentle bear? Maybe that's a mean bear. Our brains just are designed to say, run, dude, there's a bear. We'll figure out if he's nice later. We're out. And so when we have people in our lives, and we all do, Brother Kevin, who are convinced that this is the end of time, this is it, things are up, that if President A is elected, we're all going to be okay. If President B is elected... It's, we're all going to die. We are going to die. And there are hurricanes in the Gulf. Two of them just landed at the same time. The West Coast is on fire. Fill in the blank. It's all a struggle right now. When we have folks in our life like that, just sitting down and trying to talk facts and sense is not helpful. It's just not. And so, yes, at some point after you draw that boundary and say, I'm asking you all to stop. I'm going to continue to pray for our country. I'm going to protect, pray for our family. I'm going to pray for everybody. I don't need the details anymore. If they do it after that, then yes, you got to ignore it. You got to cut them off. You got to block them. You can tell your mom, I'm going to call you, but I've asked you to stop sending me this stuff and you continue to do it. And I know that's a hard conversation to have, but it is a bold adult conversation. And my promise is she loves you more than the drama. And I think she'll come around, Kevin. Um, You sound like a wise young man, wise beyond many of of the folks I run with. Um, who just let our parents bombard us with some of this stuff and our and our kids and our, our friends and coworkers. But yeah, draw boundaries. And then if people violate those boundaries, you have every right, every every responsibility to yourself and those who love you to say, I'm I'm out. I'm not gonna respond to this nonsense. I'm gonna block your phone call. I'll call you if I need something. Um, for sure block people on social media and whatnot. But I think the the proper way to do this is to write an email to your mom and to your grandma and say, I am praying for our country. I love things. This type of information, I'm not interested anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. Please do not send it to me anymore. And Kevin, I've had those conversations in my life and the folks that 
know me and love me have respected those boundaries. And so, um, man, I appreciate the call. I know that so many people across the country, millions are dealing with this exact thing. And here's the deal. At the end of this election, regardless of who's elected and who ends up in Washington, who's not in whatever, I'm still going to have to go to Starbucks, see the person at the counter. I'm still going to pump gas next to you in your car. I'm still going to see you at the grocery store. I'm still going to email back and forth to you at work. At the end of the day, our relationships with one another is all that matters. My problems are not going to be solved in Washington, good folks. My problems are going to be solved locally, in my neighborhood, in my office, in my heart. I believe that strongly, and I want to encourage everybody to begin to open back up your relationships around you with your loved ones and respect each other's boundaries. All right, so that wraps up today's show. We're going to end the lyrics of the day. Listen, the last couple of weeks as this show has launched, I've said this is the greatest ever, so it's greatest ever. I haven't been telling the truth. This is the greatest album of all time, and on this album is the greatest song of all time. It's a 1987 album by the band U2. It's the Joshua Tree record, and the song that has burrowed its way into hearts of millions of people across the world is where the streets have no name, and it goes like this. I want to run. I want to hide. I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I want to reach out and touch the flame where the streets have no name. I want to feel sunlight on my face. I see the dust cloud disappear without a trace. I want to take shelter from the poison rain where the streets have no name. This is the Dr. John Deloney Show. <laughs>